You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. but they were of the world. They were going to die in their sin. May I ask, what was their sin? These were the religious leaders, the religious leaders of all of Israel. But what was the sin that Jesus is referring to? Unbelief, unbelief, that is the sin. They refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah. He had to continually defend who he was because of their prejudice that they had towards him. Even though you call yourself a Christian, do you have a personal relationship with God? Today, Pastor Dave is going to show you the importance of making sure you're actually living out your life in a way that's pleasing to God. You need to make sure your faith is authentic because it means nothing otherwise. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 8 as he begins his message, A Dangerous Spiritual State. John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. As I was looking at this section, I could not get away from verse 37. I wanted to go further, but I believe that the Spirit didn't want me to. So I stayed and I focused on this one verse. So today we're doing a whopping one verse in John chapter 8, and that is verse 37. If you have found your place to the Gospel of John, I will read aloud if you'd like to read along silently. John 8, verse 37. Jesus is speaking. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So, John 8, verse 37. As I was studying for this message and looking at various things, like I said, I was trying to get through some more verses, but the Lord had other plans. And as I was studying this, I came across a preface of an article that I would like to read to you. It was published in the Daily Wire, and the article was entitled, quote, Dear Christian, is there one thing worse than being an atheist? Unquote. That's the name of this article. And let me read you the opening paragraph. As Christians, we tend to think that atheists are in the most dangerous spiritual state. Indeed, they are in a dangerous state, but not the most dangerous. The atheist is surely closer to redemption than the Christian who hangs onto the name, but empties it of its substance. There is nothing worse than being a casual Christian, one who lives and acts and thinks, and in most every other way, believes just as the atheists do. And he concludes with this statement. It is better to be an unbeliever and know that you're an unbeliever than to be an unbeliever and think you are Christian. Interesting words. 
interesting words which led me to today's title, A Dangerous Spiritual State. A Dangerous Spiritual State. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you like sheep in wolves' clothing. They are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. These false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Beware of them, he says. Dangerous spiritual state. Then the same attitude that Jesus has been fighting since the beginning of chapter 8 and even going all the way back into chapter 7 at the great Feast of Tabernacles. The attitude of the religious person versus the attitude of a true believer. Chapter 8 in the Gospel of John is a chapter of contrast and conflicts. Throughout this entire chapter, we have seen a series of contrasts that revealed the graciousness of our Lord Jesus Christ while exposing the wickedness of people. We have seen the conflict between the Lord Jesus and the religious leaders as it escalated to a new height. It began with the woman caught in adultery. Jesus shows great compassion towards this woman. He didn't condemn her, but the Pharisees want blood. But they don't want blood from this woman. They wanted Jesus to decide whether she should be stoned or not because that is what the law of Moses said. They don't really want blood from this woman. She's just a pawn that they're using to get at Jesus. Their main goal was to trip Jesus up in making a decision about this woman that would give them cause to have him locked up, to seize him. So they put this trick out. Ah, oh, we got him now. Let's see what he answers. But Jesus outsmarted them. Why? Because Jesus knows what's in the hearts of men. Jesus knows what's in your heart even right now. Jesus knows if your heart right now is focused on him and what the Lord is trying to say to you through his spirit, or if your heart is focused on the shopping that you might have to do this afternoon, the barbecue that you might have to go to, or whatever it is else that you might have to do after church. Are you focused on that or you're focused on God's word? Are you focused on Jesus? He knows what's in your heart right now. And if you're here, not focused on Jesus, well, welcome. We're glad you're here. And hopefully by the end, you will be focused on him and he will be the main focus. But if you're here and you're telling me that you're focused on Jesus and you're really not, oh, what a dangerous spiritual state you're in. What a dangerous spiritual state you're in. Since the confrontation of the woman caught in adultery in chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus has been backpedaling. He's been on the defensive. He had to defend his witness against the Pharisees' accusations. He told the Pharisees, hey guys, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't go. And you're going to die in your sins. He was not of the world, but they were of the world. They were going to die in their sin. May I ask, what was their sin? These were the religious leaders, the religious leaders of all of Israel. But what was the sin that Jesus is referring to? Unbelief. Unbelief. That is the sin. They refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah. He had to continually defend who he was because of their prejudice that they had towards him. As we go further down in this section, which I thought we would cover, they're going to accuse Mary of fornication. 
they're going to actually say that you, Jesus, came from a fornicator. It was their unbelief. Why? Because these Pharisees are completely ignorant to the things of God. Here they were. The religious leaders, you know, they wore all the great robes, had the great hats, you know, they had everything going for them. They looked wonderful. In fact, they looked marvelous, darling. They looked great. Here they are, the religious leaders, leading a nation that was founded by God, a nation that was protected by God, a nation that was chosen by God, a nation that God called them the apple of his eye. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who were supposed to guide the church. They were the ones who were supposed to set the church eyes on God, bring them closer to God. They were the ones that would have their church, their people, their children go and preach to the Gentiles. Oh, how they failed. How they failed. God had sent them prophets. Prophets that talked to them about the nation who warned them what was coming before them. Prophets who said, the Messiah is coming. And they have the prophecies right there before their eyes in God's word. But these religious men did not have the knowledge of God. They thought they knew God, but they proved by their actions that they did not know him by refusing to believe that Jesus was the one whom God sent. They became hypocrites. They refused to believe their own scriptures. They wouldn't believe their own scriptures. Dangerous place to be. Dangerous spiritual place to be. Jesus has said, you're in bondage. They refuted him. They said, what do you mean we're in bondage? We've never been in bondage to anybody. Forgetting the 400 years in Egypt, we've never been in bondage. They were speaking of physical bondage. Jesus is speaking of spiritual bondage. They thought they wanted political freedom. Jesus wanted them to be set free from the bondage of sin. Jesus was speaking to them about the freedom of sin. He told them that they were slaves of sin. And he said that only a member of the household, only the son could set you free from sin. And he said, if the son has set you free, S-O-N, capital S, him, the son of God, then you would be free indeed. He told them that, but they refused it. They disinfuriated him even more. And you know what is funny, interesting? It's through all this, through all this conflict, through all this bickering between Jesus and these pharisaical attitudinal minds that they had, all this that was going on, back in verse 30, it says, and he spoke these words, many believed in him. So there were many people who weren't in the religiosity believing upon Jesus Christ. They were believing that he was who he said he was. They were believing upon him. And he is addressing those who think they believe. He's not really addressing that group. He's addressing the pharisaical group because they think they believe, they think they're following God, but they are not. They don't have God within their hearts. These pharisaical minds monopolized the conversation. They were trying to get those who really believed in Jesus to sway back to their side. They were trying to find fault with him, fault in what he said. How could he be the son of God? How could he come from heaven? This is Joseph's son. Joseph the carpenter lived in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? These were wolves in sheep's clothing. They appeared godly. They had the form of godliness, but they rejected the things of God. Paul understood this. And when Paul was writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he writes these words. I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter 3. And listen to what Paul is saying. Chapter 3, verse 1. But know this. 
that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Blech. I feel like I need to wash. I read that disgusting list of people that Paul is talking about. All you got to do is open up a newspaper and read. You got to read and it's happening right before our eyes. We see these having a form of God in this. People who say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but their life is a shamble. Their life is a mess. Oh, I'm a Christian. Really? Wow. A dangerous spiritual state. These religious leaders thought they, they had the notion that they were the children of God. They were God's chosen people, but yet they never yielded to him. They never submitted to his will. They never submitted to and or even wanted him to rule over them. And all of this is at the very core of what made them Jews. They didn't want it. A dangerous spiritual state. Because they would not yield allegiance or true allegiance to God and his word, they wouldn't yield to Jesus Christ. They wouldn't yield to Christ. They were self-willed. They were self-confident. They were self-satisfied with their hardened condition. And this is such a dangerous place to be, folks. Scripture says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. These people had a hard-hearted condition. They were hardened in their heart. They possessed a blind determination that they knew what was right and wrong. Therefore, they couldn't receive the word of God. They couldn't receive the word of God. That's why we ask you to come with your heart wide open to receive whatever God might talk to you about today. You're here because God wants you here. You're here because he has something to say to you. And if you would have ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say, you would know it and you would receive it. That's why he brought you here today. They refused to yield to God. in enemies of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus says to them in verse 37, okay, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. These people laid claim to Abraham, man of faith, the man who based his entire life on following God's word, the man who'd exhibited great faith in God by living in the light of God's promises, even when they weren't quickly fulfilled. He waited and waited and waited. He had a beautiful, beautiful covenant with God. It's called the Abrahamic covenant, a beautiful covenant, which included us, at the end of when it says, and all the world will be blessed by your seed. All the world will be blessed. He was the father of faith. Against every human reason, Abraham followed God because he believed God's word. And what happened when he believed God's word in Genesis 15, chapter 6? It was accounted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, chapter 6 says, and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him 
as righteousness. And Paul compares Abraham's faith to our faith in chapter 4 of Romans. We believe Jesus to be the Son of God. We believe Jesus to be God incarnate. And our faith is accounted to us as righteousness. Our faith is accounted to us as righteousness. Despite the fact that they were physically descendants of Abraham, they didn't act like him at all. They didn't act like him at all. He obeyed the voice of God. They disobeyed the voice of God. Jesus says, your desire to kill me shows me that you're really not Abraham's children. You're not Abraham's descendants or you wouldn't want to kill me. Instead of heeding to my father's words, you're hostile to me because of his words. And his word has no place in you. His word made no progress in their heart. It made no change in them. They had no room for his word in their lives. Oh, what a dangerous spiritual state. When you don't give room for the word of God in your life, when you don't submit to God and allow him to do the things that he's longing to do in you, the things that he's longing to do in your life and show you and have you accomplish, the things that he wants to bless you with, those 75 blessings that I showed you a couple weeks ago. One commentator said this, quote, Abraham was not their father in a spiritual sense. When messengers from heaven came to Abraham, he received them in Genesis 18. But these genetic descendants of Abraham rejected and sought to kill the one sent from God. Like I said, a dangerous spiritual place to be in when we disobey the voice of God, when we do not heed to his word in our lives, when we do not apply the word of God to our lives, when our actions are contrary to God's word, you're in a heap of trouble. A heap of trouble. Especially if you call yourself a Christian. These religious leaders rejected the word Jesus taught them. This proved they were not like Abraham. They were not like him at all. This proves that they did not have freedom that comes from abiding in God's word. Remember what he told them? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. I love what Spurgeon said on this verse. He said, let's consider several ways that God's word should have a place in the believer's life. I'm going to read this list to you. See if it applies to anybody here. See if it applies to your life. See if it applies. Number one, the word of God ought to have an inward place in your heart. The word of God ought to have a place of high honor in your life. It should have a priority in your life above a lot of things. It should be a priority of your life. The word of God ought to have a place of trust in your life. The word of God ought to have a place of rule in your life. The word of God ought to have a place of love in your life. And the word of God ought to have a permanent place in your life. God's word in our lives. We are so blessed to have it in this form. The inerrant word of God. No error, infallible word of God before us that he's given to us. Oh my, how many of us, when we have a problem, run to the bookstore when they used to have them, and run up and down the 565 million aisles of self-help books. There is a self-help book for every single condition out there. When God has given us a self-help book, it's right here. 
He's given it to every one of us. It's called the Bible. If we would but read it and heed it. It's a self-help book. Jesus looked at them and said, yo, guys, my word has no place in you. What was he saying? You guys want to kill me. You don't even know my word, let alone live it. Your walk doesn't match your talk. You're not living the word of God. Here you are saying you are God's children and you want to kill me. You don't know what God is saying to you. Is God in you? Can you take that list that Spurgeon gave you and said, yeah, I'm there. How often do I hear God's word and even consent to God's word and then respond with arousing, amen, brother, preach it. But do I do as the word says? Let me give you an example. Someone says to me, Dave, a little heavy, aren't you? Dave, you're kind of fat. You need to lose some weight. I say, amen, you're right. I could shed some pounds. But until I start eating less, start burning off the calories, it'll never happen. I may even have the desire to lose weight and long for the results that losing weight brings. But nothing will happen until I begin my diet and watch my eating. Same with the word of God. You can agree with it all you want, but until you start applying it to your life, your life will not change. We must apply the will of God. We must apply the word of God to our lives. What does James tell us in his wonderful epistle? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Sometimes when we hear, we get a distorted concept of the truth. Jesus said, to hear and not to do is like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Now, the foolish man may be sitting here today. He may be sitting here beside you. And he's built, a, built his house upon the sand. And you come in here, you gather together. You're all together in one place. Some of you have built your house upon the foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. Others have built their house upon the sand. You sing these hymns together. You praise the Lord together. You shout hallelujah. You have a great time. You understand scripture. You read the word of God. But when the big storm comes next week, your house is destroyed. You're in a mess. You're running around like a chicken with his head cut off because you were only pretending. Your house was built upon sand, not the rock of Jesus Christ. You say you're a Christian, but your life shows you're not, because you're not trusting in God. Now, we never, ever want to minimize anybody's problems. That's not our point. And life hurts. Life is vicious. It'll swallow you up if you're not rooted and grounded in the word of God. If you're not rooted and grounded and solid on the rock of Jesus Christ, life will swallow you up. Yes, life hurts. Yes, we hurt physically, but something happens in our heart and it doesn't change because Christ is there. Christ is there. You might be surrounded by four walls. You might even have a roof over your head and feel so cozy and secure. But if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, if you're only mouthing words, you're in a dangerous spiritual place. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.